Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Apple Log Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Head. I'm trying to make this fast because I got a few more things to talk about. First and foremost, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by FetchClass.com. FetchClass.com is a teaching and learning system where you can teach me taught in a video conference. It's like I almost got this nailed now. It's like I've done it, what, 67 times. I can just recite it off like a friggin' parrot. So what you can do is join this site sign up. There's some teachers where you can choose from. If you want to learn classical guitar, you want to learn piano, you want to learn anything. Fetchclass.com. If you want to be a teacher on the site, then by all means, join that. And it's awesome. Video conferencing, it's safe and secure. Fetchclass.com. Also, InsightRecorders.com is a sponsor because Insight Recorders offers an online mixing service where you can send your song in multi-track format and get it back, making it sound like Zeppelin Four, Promised, stamped. And if it doesn't sound like Zeppelin Four, then you'll get your money back, which is bullshit because you won't get your money back. So, but sure, honestly, send your, if, you're in, if you have a little recording studio in your basement, you can record to the best of your ability, but when you give it to Insight Recorders, It'll sound better. Also, services where they can, I can send you to uh, places if you want to make a CD, which nobody makes anymore. I can help you out and consult. Not just offer this, but I can consult you on how to release your album in a proper way. Mm, affiliate programs. Got a new one. Banggood.com. Now, <laughs> it's not what you think, folks. Banggood.com is a very interesting website where you can purchase it's like amazon but it's got all sorts of crazy stuff if you're a geek nerd junkie like myself if you like shopping for i don't know servos and remote controlled stuff and and resistors and all sorts of things go to banggood.com before you go there go to applelog.ca and click on the banggood banner bookmark it and shop and, and you'll be supporting the show for that believe me just go there because it's got tons of stuff it even has dildos. <laughs> and now a more important affiliate program, Amazon.com. Speaking, so now I got, see, I'm covering myself. I got competition and, and then the crazy, crazy website with all sorts of things. The best thing, okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to Banggood because they have this thing where you stick your baby's head in a hole and it's inflatable. It's called the baby head float or something. It's, an, it's, an, it's insane. Okay, back to Amazon. If you're from Canada, America, or from the UK, go to applelog.ca and click on one of the three banners from wherever you're from. Bookmark the banners, shop, and support the show. Same as the Banggood. Also, another one is Musician's Friend. Now I'm thinking about dropping Musician's Friend because nobody's clicking on it. So maybe this might be the last Musician's Friend spot part ever, period. While you're on the Applelog website, go to the shop, applelog.ca slash shop. Shop for a t-shirt. You can buy a t-shirt pre-order my acoustic album that should be hopefully coming out between now and 2090 uh what else oh and yeah get a shirt and if you're in the durham region of toronto or canada i mean i'll just drop it off to your house okay patreon.com slash is a place where you can go and sponsor the show just you anybody you can pledge a monthly amount that will help the show out with gas with travel fees, with hosting fees, with all sorts of things. I have two amazing patrons already, and that's Michael Pitts and Curtis Pippen. Thanks, guys, for coming on the show early and helping the show out. It's amazing. And I actually paid for half of my hosting fees because of those two guys. But hey, that's not it. I need more. So everybody, go to patreon.com slash and support the show. Facebook.com slash pod is a place to go like the show. Follow me on Twitter, and I'm at SimonHead666, but I'm going to be, at Can Carpenter's request, I'm going to be changing. I'm getting an actual Apolog podcast Twitter. And that way I can just add everybody all the time, because that's my worry. It's my personal one. I don't want to add, like, everybody. Like, I don't want everybody as my... To, I don't want to follow everybody, okay? Also... Go to iTunes. I'm noticing there's a little spike in iTunes where people are going to iTunes, but I would like you, while you're there, is to give it a rate and a review and subscribe to it. That would very much help the show out. Today on the show, I have Mr. Graham Philiskirk. Graham is not one of the original bass players, but he played in a band called 
Leatherface. Leatherface is an early 90s band that's sort of pre-grunge, very, it's like Husker Du meets Motorhead. There's a bit of a history there, and we're going to talk about it, and you get to know about the history of Leatherface. They, were, they went through several incarnations, and they got back together and broke up a few times. And now, Graham is with Hugo Moody in a band called Meditation. Meditation is a super cool band that's obviously based in the UK a little bit, based in Montreal a little bit, and it's a great thing. And they're actually, I believe they're coming to Putsfest this year, and if anybody's in Montreal, go check out Meditation. You won't be let down. And ladies and gentlemen, my new friend from Sunderland, the UK, not Sunderland, Ontario, because that's only 20 minutes from my house, Graham Phyllis Kirk on the Apolog Podcast. Oh boy. <laughs> Graham Phyllis Kirk from the band Meditation. Yep. How are you doing? We've been having a bit of a struggle with the uh, we're having we're in the throes of internet bullshit, but we'll uh, we can prevail. We're professionals, right? Well, I always like to say a semi-professional. It's a good get out clause. Now, you are in Sunderland right now and you you must been there. You must have been there your whole life, right? Pretty much so, yes. Um, I'm actually in my studio, Studio 13, um, which is in a building called The Bung, um, which is a very much a, a, a vocal point and a central point of pretty much a lot of Sunderland musicians. Um, it's a very old building, been around a lot of years. Um, community projects, that sort of thing, pretty much where punk rock started within the, the northeast and, and the Sunderland area. Um, and downstairs is where um, Leatherface had their studio. Uh, Frankie Stubbs worked and Minx was written and recorded. Um, Mush was written there. Um, and, you know, Dickie, Laney, and myself, pretty much anyone who's got anything to do with punk rock. Um, in their teenage years, drank cider, <laughs> jumped up and down and played music as loud as possible. So you're almost now the uh, the the cool uncle of punk rock in your town now, I bet, right? You're being very kind, yes, thank you. I was going to say granddaddy, <laughs> but granddaddy is more like 80s, like uh, early 80s punk rocker, you know. That'd be the granddaddy. You're the uncle. You're the cool uncle. Yeah, that's not so like that, thank you. <laughs> Leatherface started in the late 80s, and I, I have to tell you, it just struck this chord with me because I remembered driving around North America in the early 90s and seeing that cover of Mush and going, who is this? Why do I like this so much? And because, you know, how there's an ocean difference between things and how internet was, there was no internet. There was no real, it was all word of mouth or maximum rock and roll would tell us what's cool. It was, it was just it was one of these moments of, oh, this is, this is awesome stuff. And then when I found out that this whole new thing you're putting together, it sort of struck a chord with me. I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm 22 again. So thanks for that. Yeah, thanks. It's um, it was really something that came together um, when Leatherface toured Canada and America. Um, I had worked very closely with Hugo um, from St. Catharines, um, and he was doing a new project, uh, which was Yesterday's Ring. Um, and he he said, "Look, can we try and put the, the two together? And uh, is there any chance we can, you know, do the support and play with you?" Said, "Yeah, fine." And we we did the tour. Um, we both sort of managed it, put it all together. It was a fantastic tour. Um, I got on really well. Well, we all did as band members and individuals. Um, and as I say, you know, we were semi-professional. We tried our best. Um, and got to know Fred and Hugo. Um, and at that point in time, we put a, a split seven inch for that tour. Um, we started off in Canada, went all the way down the East Coast. Um, and it was February winter time, which was pretty stupid time to tour Canada. But we did it. And we ended up in Florida. Um, so we went through all the seasons, um, spring, winter, spring, autumn and summer. Um, 
and we ended up you know in in warm places further down south and it was good we had a great time and and during the tour we uh we just said you know do you think we're crazy enough to try and do something at some point um and we all said yeah um never thought it would happen you know mm-hmm. we never thought we would actually do anything um but yeah here we are and that's the incarnation of meditation um now when when was that area yeah. era when when about was that when you when you did that tour um 2008 okay um, if I'm memory serves me right mm-hmm. yeah so that was um yeah that was the stormy petrol tour you know you must because you've traveled to ontario a bunch of times but there is a lot of towns and districts that are named after old english districts and towns because whoever settled here wanted to have a taste of home and there's a town called Sunderland 20 minutes from my house so uh why don't we just meet because it's you're only really 20 (laughs) minutes away (laughs) (laughs) yeah I believe there's one called Newcastle as well which I would prefer not to go to (laughs) well and there's also a taste of German because we have uh New Hamburg and what used to be called New Berlin but it's now called Kitchener um, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge area, but I think they got rid of that around the end of the World War II because they were a little bit, you know, Berlin, Germans, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it is quite strange when I've um, been over there, and you 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 do really get a sense of all these different countries who've been there before, um, and obviously the big influence in, in Quebec is uh, the French, and one minute, you, you know, you, you're traveling along, everything's in English, and the next minute, it's all in French. It's, it's good. It's good. Yeah, there's only about a 50 or 60 kilometer range between fully English to middle English, like English-French split, then all to full French. It's only like between Cornwall, Ontario, and... Um, where Montreal is, it's such a drastic change because of the English and French um, difference. I like having bilingualism. I think it's neat. I don't speak French, but uh, but I, I think we need to sort of prove that Canada and French and French Canadians can, should be able to get along, right? Well, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I have heard um, obviously there's there's differences, and it does stem back through history, like a lot of this type of thing. But um, I think it's fantastic, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's great when you're over there. Um, as no um, people should be proud of that, you know. Uh, I mean, for us in England, um, we're spoiled because of the majority of the world, you know, does speak English. Um, we're very lazy and we tend not to learn another language. Yeah. The island part of being English is yeah, definitely a uh, a barrier to, to other cultures. You know, France is literally, you could swim to France if you really were a very good swimmer. But you could, you know. There's a lot there. Yeah, there's a lot there. So the idea of, uh, I was reading into your, your town's history and um, I noticed that there's a church there that's 1,300 years old. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it's called St. Peter's. Yeah, part of it's only existing because I think it got bombed out, I think, in World War One or Two or something like that, right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. 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 How does it feel to be in a town where people would use stone, like stones on the ends of sticks? Like, basically medieval, you know. That's so much history there. I, I, I That was boggles my mind when I go to other countries that are obviously older than Canada. How does it feel? Do you feel that, that obviously, that that heritage and all those times where the Vikings came over and took all your shit. And <laughs> well, it's, yeah, you do. Um, it, it's, it, you know, it is history and it's part of our history. Um, and as it happens, my name, Phyllis Kirk, which don't worry, everybody um, finds it difficult to pronounce, mm-hmm. um, actually is in connection with the Vikings coming over into Scotland through the Shetlands um, and settling down in, into this country and, and two families came together. So, yeah, that is is where my name comes from. It's a very a very old name. Um, but history in, in England, I mean, we're just a bunch of mongrels at the end of the day, you know? Well, yeah, and there was a, in the, the, everybody forgets about the fact that the Romans were there, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, um, why they came here, I, I still can't work that out. <laughs> they, they built a big wall, which isn't very far from here, yeah. um, to keep 
with the pick, which were actually the, the spots. Um, and it just rains. It's freezing cold. It rains. And, you know, to come from Italy to here, you must have done something seriously wrong. You're the, yeah, you're the mean, you're the bad centurions, and you're, the, you're like the dicks, you know, in corporate life where they send you a far away into an office on the other side of the building. That was that that version of the Romans. Like, get all those guys. We can, Get them all over there. We can't handle those guys. Get them out of there. They're they're ruining all the parties, all the uh, you know, all the crazy parties. <laughs> oh man, I'm born in Portsmouth, so uh, I am an English man myself. So my parents uh, obviously are born there. I was born there. My two brothers are born there, and we 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 traveled over to Canada twice, actually, once before I was born, and the other time after I was born. Do you ever have the need or the want to actually? get out of England? Like, is, you know, obviously not because you have good roots, you have your studio, you have all sorts of things there, but you ever have that sort of, maybe I should move somewhere else? Every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> it's, um, believe me, I mean, you're, uh, come from a seafaring, um, background, it's, which is the same as, as people from Sunderland, um, which is pretty much England in itself. You know, we're surrounded by the ocean mm-hmm. and, um, it's very much part of us. It's, um, and the other side of my family, um, they sort of came from Ireland, Irish gypsies. Um, so I tend to find I have that in my blood anyway. Um, and part of traveling around the world and getting away is, is very, very much something, you know, I personally like to do a lot. And I think it comes hand in hand. And if you're lucky enough to tour um, and get around, you know, it's a great feeling, you know, to meet a lot of other people. Um, and, and see the world, you know. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's funny that you say the traveling part. Certain people are homebodies. Certain people love to just stay at home and take care of home stuff. And then there's people like us that like to travel and enjoy and see things around. And I think it's a matter of perspective because I have met some British people who are from Derby. And I said, uh, we're driving down to London. I said, uh, you must come here all the time because London's the mecca of everything. And they're like, yeah, I came down here in like uh, four years ago. Like, wow, I'd be down here every week. <laughs> yeah, well, Derby's probably is a good example of uh, it's, it's a little bit more mainland. Yeah. Um, you know, the, uh, you tend to find people don't actually travel as much as you'd expect. Um, and it's one thing when I was in um, America, and you, you do get it in Europe. Um, and, and Canada also, people don't think nothing of getting in a car or a plane, you know, going over the West Coast or going skiing or wh- whatever um, at the weekends or when they've got a holiday, vacation, time off. Um, where in England, you'll be very surprised. Some people literally do not leave their village area, you know. Uh, they grew up there and they died there. The idea of understanding what's around you might push you out the door you know but if you're safe and content in your village and there's enough isolation to realize that well i don't need to go i got everything i need here i got my cows and i i have my (laughs) my food uh and that's all i need one thing i noticed that new zealanders they just travel they go and they take off you know for years because their island is way more isolated than obviously in england right yeah yeah it's um, very much like the australians as well you know um you tend to find, I think in their social environment, they are, they're actually allowed to, um, you know, I have uh, family in Australia and um, it's part of, you know, being a youth. I think you get something like 12 months where they say, right, go, you can travel, you can do what you want um, and then come back, you know, which is a great idea, you know. Because it really does help the whole society out because you've come back with all this knowledge of the world outside so you can bring all these things you've learned to uh, to home. You know, maybe there's a thing with English with pride, English pride. You know, the ones, the homebodies that say, well, we don't want to have any outside um, interference with what we think is perfect. Sounds pretty British. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. I've never been to Sunderland, but I've been obviously through Derby and up through Manchester. So I've been on the opposite side. But uh, I have family in Norfolk, so that's miles and miles away from you, right? That's almost like a whole country away, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much so, yeah. It's um, a lot of farmland, grassland, and that way, yeah. Mm-hmm. So starting off as in, in a punk like in a punk outfit in a, in a group, 
as a bass player, do you always want to be a bass player, or is this one of these things? A lot of hear the story where, you know, there was no bass players, and I wanted to be in the band. Were you always wanting to be a bass player? Um, originally, when I started off, um, you know, younger, um, I was a guitarist. I still play guitar. Um, and sort of on the punk side of things, I, I was in a band called Ran, um, Rugrat, um, Bull Taco, which was actually with Lenny, who was the drummer of Leatherface. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played guitar uh, for a lot of years, and the, the Leatherface thing came up. Um, I'd been friends with the band, obviously, and lived in the same town, drank in the same pubs um, for years and years. Um, and Davy Lee Burden, um, he was the bass player before me, and uh, he wanted to go off and do Former Cellmates as a new project. Um, and they just went, you know, would you like to do it? And uh, I thought, yeah, okay, I'll give it a go. And it was really um, the, the the task of taking on a new instrument because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's just the bass guitar, you know, but hey, it's, it's completely different um, to playing a guitar. Um, and coming into Leatherface and, and actually taking that on was a big thing. Um, and especially when you had um, people like Davey, who'd been in the band, who were very good bass players, um, and Andy, who originally was from a band called Snuff, you may have heard of. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, apart from being a fantastic guy, um, what a fantastic bass player. And uh, I actually used to sit and go on YouTube and try and get, um, you know, live gigs of them and watch them and just see how they used to play and really try to get in there how the the two of them as bass players in Leatherface actually carried out and and played that instrument and and also then I'd what I felt into it you know so I, yeah I took a lot of time out and um tried to get it right you know and I would imagine Leatherface was sort of the big brother band and then there's all the little brother bands that sort of look up to Leatherface being the ones that broke out and to join something that has so much esteem and so much critical acclaim, did you know how much at the time, how many people, it was such a cult following over here. Like I said, I, I, I was interested for a very small period of time in the 90s, about, you know, and when I found out about it, and then, you know, life changes and things move on. But it must be cool to join a band that has so much behind it. Like, you know, what year did you join? Oh, God, I, th- I think I was in the band for about seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, about 2005-ish, something like that. And um, mm-hmm. Paul's just shouting out at me there. Um, so even though it probably doesn't look like I was involved in a great length of time, actually I was because we toured a hell of a lot. Um, but yeah, to your question, um, it wasn't an amazing thing. It was actually quite frightening, <laughs> to tell you the truth, um, because you know I'd I'd been friends with them from being you know, gosh, 16, I think, when I first met Frankie, um, probably the same when I met Dickie. Um, we all grew up together, listened to the same stuff. We all drank together, did the same things. And um, I knew what they were, um, knew where they were going. Um, I mean, even on Minx, it's, it's got my baby daughter who's got a photograph on the album, you know. Wow. Um, so I was very much involved with the band, Um uh, you know, I'd I'd sit there with them in the studio downstairs while half of these songs and albums were being written, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of what Frankie was singing about as well. You know, you you felt very close to it, um, and it w- is still and always will be. I think something very special, um, and and something very big, um, and I think being allowed and privileged to be a part of that, and going out in the world and touring with them. Um, really hit home just the effect it had on so many people. Yeah, you know, it was massive, massive to a lot of people mm-hmm. all over the world. So now I wouldn't say I'm frightened anymore. I'm very privileged to have worked with these people and to have done it. You know, and the fact that that there was such a break between in the '90s for when the band reformed and and came in, it seemed like they were a little bit too ahead of where things were industry or music tastes wise and then it took time for the people to catch up with the band you know and that's my my opinion so my opinion's not worth anything but that's my opinion <laughs> no, I, I would actually agree with that because i think one thing um which 
I personally have, have tried to do has been somebody who picks up a guitar or a bass and tries to make a noise. Um, and I, I think it was something that both Dickie and Frankie and Leatherface as a band um, have always tried to do, and that is, is try and move forward mm-hmm. in what they were doing, not just as individuals, but as a band and, and, and writing music. Um, because I think, you know, the, there are areas within punk music where you could say, it, has it really moved forward? Have certain bands really moved forward? Are they just, you know, trying to put out the same thing they've done for years and years? And I think there are some bands out there who have done that. Mm-hmm. Not a bad thing, I suppose, if you really like that. <laughs> but I think as an artist and as an individual, you, you want to feel like you've progressed and you have done something different. So, yeah, there's definitely times when... Uh, I think a lot of people were sometimes putting the album on going, whoa, what is this? <laughs> you know? yeah. um, but after the yeah. third or fourth listen, which is a good thing, going, hang on, th- this is somewhat different. This is good, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think the Fears did that a lot, yeah. It always felt good. I mean, even this the, the new recording I've heard, it just, there's certain chords and then we're uh, like a groove where you're like, oh, you know, it's so... Um, I don't know, visceral. I don't know. That's maybe the wrong word. But you feel like when, when things sort of jump in, you're like, oh, this I'm so comfortable with this. And that's I think is very cool is you can feel what's coming off of that recording. Even though you guys were on opposite sides of the Atlantic, I'm sure. Did you when you were recording this new project, did you all get together or was it sort of satellite recording systems? Yeah. Um it, originally the idea was to to um split um the recording and say come on let's like do six tracks or ideas from canada six track ideas from the uk throw them across and let's work and put parts on them and see what happens um but hugo and fred were involved in miracles at the time um and it, it really started to take off for them um and they came back and said look guys we're gonna have a problem with um writing a lot of stuff for this um, are you okay with that? Or can you just carry on doing what you, you, you're doing and just get ideas down? And we said, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry. Um, so Dickie and I worked here from the studio. Um, Paul Reed was the guy who um, came in because I was setting this studio up. Um, he helped me out with the software and various other aspects, um, engineering, um, that sort of thing. We got everything up and running and we just carried on mm-hmm. um, so we literally just sent ideas over um, and while Hugo and Fred were on tour even in the van they were sitting down putting vocal lines down and guitar parts and sending them back um, so it was pretty crazy yeah. um, but it was as straightforward as that you know we just threw ideas across and it came out what it was um, and you kind of hear the influences of, of both sides you know you kind of hear I would like to think so anyway um, yep. But yeah, we, we we just tried to have some dynamics in there and, and some diversity as well. We didn't just want to go out and do a straightforward punk rock album because that could have been quite easy to do. Mm-hmm. People would have accepted it. So we still had, you know, the perspective of let's try and at least progress a little bit in what we're doing. And I hope that comes across in the album, you know. Well, the production for sure and the songwriting is so heartfelt and, and you know, and who recorded the drums? We um, originally did the drums in Studio 13. This really was where Paul came in um, because we used um, Logic um, and it has a really good um, little drum package in there. Paul introduced me to this, so it made it a lot easier to get near what you wanted Mm -hmm. um, when you were doing the track. Um, So that was a massive help. Um, And we literally um, got the speeds of the songs, how we wanted it um, and sent them over and Julian who's the drummer who played um, he is fantastic amazing drummer mm-hmm. um, and we went in there and obviously he added his parts um, but he just done an absolutely fantastic job um, and it was it was actually quite shocking to watch him perform and play these songs in the studio you know I, yeah that is to the strongest part the first reaction I got from it is that the drums are just so powerful and so well played and and they sound like they're played by a person. <laughs> and um, oh, yeah. you could go two ways on that. Because even if it was highly produced or edited or what's the feeling of it sounding real is the important part. If you know what I'm trying to say here. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, w even though we used the original demo tracks as the guides, mm -hmm. um, which is pretty normal these days, you know. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a traditionalist where I try and I like to put the drums down and the bass line at the same time. So you, you get that feel and connectivity as both the drums and the, ultimately the rhythm track goes down. And we did that on Stormy Petrel. Um, you know, I literally it was one take and they were done and we were happy and walked away with it. It was probably a couple of things which we went back in to try again or change just because it to just for the feel of it. Mm -hmm. And it pretty much worked exactly the same when we recorded this. Well let's hear a song. Let's play the first song on the album and it is called Memories of Youth and here it comes. Well, um, funny enough, I really wanted um, Ryan to do it, um, and Ryan was the guitarist in Yesterday's Ring, mm -hmm. um, which we'd, I'd met on the, the tour, and I'd actually followed him um, when we returned from home and, and some of the work he'd done previously for the bands. Mm -hmm. And apart from being a fantastic guy like the rest of them, um, he was really laid back, really cool. Um, and you could tell he could work with just, you know, anyone, any situation. Mm -hmm. And um, ultimately what he had produced as an engineer and a recording guy um, was very impressive. And I just went, look, I, I want to work with him and use him. And Ryan, obviously, we worked around it, boot our schedules together, and he came and done it. And I, I've got to say, he done a fantastic job. Um, he's very, very good. Yeah, it sounds so fresh and, and, and just good sounding. It's like, could you imagine 30 years ago when you're putting records out to make something that sounds so big and powerful? And could you imagine? I can't. No, um, I think because technology is moving on now um 
you know, even small bands can can start to want to get to that point. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, I still love some of the analog stuff, the tape stuff. You know, I still think bass guitars and drums on on tape sound much better than digital. And and I think in many ways we tried to um, achieve that as well as getting this bigger sound and, and, and freshness, which you can't get with digital. Um, that's probably one of the plus points about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this recording for me, it did tick all the boxes and it, it, it hit what I wanted it to, you know. Yeah, I think perspective has changed too with played back music coming. Everything's coming out of an iPod now. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're trying to trying to make something sound beautiful on nice speakers sometimes the mastering process and everything kind of takes charge of the final bah and there's still and there's still i think there's that element of everything clicked in a recording you know how many recordings have you done where you're like everybody's awesome but it somehow it's just not working but then you hear something where it just sounds perfect you know it clicks everything's great and i've heard a few of them over the past couple of years it just like Ah, this felt right, and I think that's what's coming through now too. With it feels good. Yeah, uh, definitely, and I would say that happened with this. Um, I mean, the other thing was we had a few options of studios where we could have went, and uh, I know the guys had recorded up in Wild Studios before, and the the whole, the place, everything about it just gives you a good feeling. And um, I just said, look. I want to go there to record it. Uh, so we booted it and went up there to do it. And I'm really pleased we did because it it gave us a lot of room where you weren't on top of each other. Yeah, and when you came in to listen to something, it felt very fresh and you could walk away, look at the lake, go for a walk, do whatever, you know. Um, and, and that really helped um, rather than being in a, a cooped up room, pitch black, you know, you don't see daylight um, and you start pissing each other off and getting on everybody's nerves, you know. Um, there's always somebody who never takes a shower, you know, so. <laughs> Here's a tip. So everybody grows bad mustaches. It's really hard to get mad at people when they have bad mustaches. <laughs> no, I shave every day. Sorry. <laughs> it worked. We did it once years ago where we like, you look at someone and go, oh, oh, no, wait a minute, you got this total porn stash. How can I be mad at you? Uh, <laughs> oh man so, <laughs> so a lot of these songs were, were uh, sort of an amalgamation of of dickie hammond songs right or was there a few that were, were um yeah um i think at one point when the guys won two with miracles we sort of were a bit worried thinking oh we're not going to do this uh, but you know dickie had had a few songs and he said look I, i'll use these you know if you want to if you think they're good enough um so we did um which was a good starting point that got us off the ground really quickly and and up and running fast Mm -hmm. um i did a lot of arrangements in here as i said paul helped on the drum side of things with that program which helped massively um and it moved along pretty good and um on top of that strangely um there was some ideas and riffs which come through from Diggy. Uh, I would pitch in um, probably on a couple of tracks. I think there was three tracks I worked on with them where choruses, bridges and stuff were done. And as I say, most of the arrangement was done here by me. Um, I sat in the studio by myself the majority of the time and chopped and changed and tried ideas out and um, everybody seemed to be happy with it. Um, and then that was it. We Once we the studio was booked, we, we got on a plane and flew. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's that easy now, isn't it? <laughs> I wouldn't say it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, well, the idea of pre-production is very important. If you've got a certain amount of time to do something, you need to work at it first to be able... And a lot of people don't understand the whole like concept of pre-production, which means doing exactly what you did. Take a song, try to trim it, try to make it better. And punching up is not always a good thing with pre-production because then you're trying to just make something that might not be good better. So... It's taking away things that will hinder the message of the song, right? Yeah, I think um, I'm pleased you said what you said because I think um, there have been probably times in my past where I I have approached things in a more DIY thing. You know, you walk in a practice room, you, you, you hammer out a couple of songs and that's punk rock, which is great. It works for certain bands in periods of time. It works for certain artists. But I think there's a lot to be said, especially when you've been doing it for quite some time and some years um, to be able to sit down and, and it's not a case of dissecting and analyzing things, you know, like a lot of bands do as well. But I think just 
giving things a little bit breathing space and time um, and sit and work on them. And, and as you've said, you know, sometimes when you first do an introduction, you think, yeah, that's great. But two, three weeks later, you put it on, you think, well, it's, it's just too long or it doesn't really need that, you know. So, yeah, I think it's a big thing these days. I like working like that now. And, and I think it's very, very important. Um, and I think in, in many cases, Dickie actually, believe it or not, after everything he's recorded, probably has learned a little bit from me by doing that as well, mm-hmm. you know, um, because Dickie was very much a guy who would come in and sit, pick a guitar up, play it, and then walk out, you know, and that was it, you know. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was nice to sort of have that interaction together, you know, his experiences and, and, and mine. Writing with someone is always fun too, because you can feel a good song cultivating, you know, and they, they, you know, and there's this sitting on an acoustic guitar and coming up with what could be the greatest song in the world. But when you don't have someone to play it to, and then they give you their idea of, oh, this could be a little bit better if you did this X Y Z. That's what makes a song really pop because you're 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 actually giving it to somebody to give back to you to then analyze again and see through their eyes. Yeah, we we did a lot of that. Uh, I mean, sometimes Dickie would probably come in. <clears throat> um, he said, I've got a, a, a riff, um, I quite like it, I'll play it, see what you think, and he would play it, I would record it, and then, um, you know, he'd go away, and then maybe it's a week later, he'd, he'd come back in the studio, and I'd say, right, what do you think of this? And, and the, you know, there'd be a, a rough bass line on, a drum pattern down, a little bit of an arrangement of a song, and the beauty about Dickie Hammond, and it's funny because uh, Frankie Stubbs and I had a drink a few weeks ago, um, before Christmas, and uh, we were talking about his passion um when you were in that environment of working and you know dickie would sit there and he at times he'd almost cry because he was that excited about <laughs> things and, and he really had this passion about you know go on son he would shout in the studio you know yeah. and um, start jumping about and and that is a big thing what we miss with him um but that was one of the big things he brought to the table as well you know um and when people weren't quite sure you knew by his reaction whether it was any good or not uh, because he'd let you know. <laughs> yeah. And that's good to have that person, the, the bullshit filter guy, you know, the person that says, isn't a yes man. Oh, this is perfect. You know, I've worked with many of them. And I've unfortunately sometimes had to be that yes man when it comes to working with uh, as a sound man or as a tour manager or whatever. I would have to say, this is a good idea. When your heart of hearts, you're like, mm, I don't know if this is going to work out so good. Or, and then time dictates yeah. how it doesn't. But having that straight, from the hip, no bullshit approach is crucial to any band as long as it doesn't hurt anybody's feelings, you know? Yeah, uh, don't get me wrong. Dickie was full of bullshit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he had his fair share. But, no, you, you're right. Um, he was a, a very good um, way of, of benchmarking things. And um, and, and to, also, he would be very blunt as well. If he didn't like something, he'd, he'd, he'd say, no, I don't like that, you know. Um, it, I think it needs to be this or that. And a lot of that was down to experience because he's done so much. Um, and, and you do have to take that on board as well. Not often was he always right um, because we would debate and we would talk about things. And, and there probably are one or two songs on there which he, he was unsure about. Um but afterwards, once we recorded them and the songs were done, um, he actually turned around and went, I'm pleased you dug your feet in. Um, and you made it happen because that sounds completely different now, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and and that is probably from my side, having that viewpoint of seeing a finished product as well. See, there's a, as a producer, you sound like you're a producer, songwriter type person, kind of like myself. And it's tough to have too much opinion or have too much of, being dug in too much to try to put your thing through, even though you're not even doing it. But the idea of having that point of view that nobody else agrees with, well, sometimes you just step back and go, you know, maybe that's not such a good thing. Maybe these four other people in the room have a better point of view than I do. Yeah. Um, I think the good thing about it was, was that when we came in to do things, you know, it's the pre-production stage where you sit and you do talk about things and you do debate and say a week later, I would say, do you look, I'll do two versions of something and then see what you think. Um, mm-hmm. And having that time in the pre-production period really does help. And it was strange because even though 
the songs were pretty much finished when we landed in Canada. I mean, we got together with Hugo and Fred for the first time. I think it was over two days we rehearsed through the songs. So it was the first time we'd actually heard the songs loud, played as a band in a rehearsal room, um, which was really strange. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Even Hugo and Fred had, I would say, about three or four ideas um, on a couple of things. And we were happy to try them and we'd done them and they worked. Um, but you've also got to have people within a band who's prepared to listen and try it as well. And I think that's a big thing, you know. You you, you do have to have egos out of the door, you know. Yes, absolutely. Especially when you kind of really know each other, but you don't really know each other. It's not like you've spent countless hours in a van with Hugo or, or in a hotel room with Hugo. So you have to take into account their agenda or their ideas and and make it all work. And that's, I think if everybody has that acceptance, that's very, it's important in a relationship, you know, it's like being married, right? Everybody says that being in a band is like being in a marriage with three other dudes. It, it's worse. It's, it really is much worse. <laughs> you got I mean, me. I, you know, I'm still, I'm still suffering with the leather face split up, you know, it's, yeah. um, uh, still kicks in now and then, you know, um, but yeah, it's very true. It's, it's worse than being in a relationship, you know, Definitely. Well, because you're well, unless you're the one of those reality families that you rely on being happy family on to, on camera, you're in a business relationship with your with your with your partner. I can't see anything less diabolical than having to be in a business relationship with uh, someone that you have to sleep with. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's a lot of people do that. Yeah. Let's hear another song because uh, I want to hear. Is there anything on here that you uh, feel is should be? It would be nice to hear what you think or what you feel, um, if that's okay. Let's go to Gods and Glory. That's a good one. I think right, I can. Yeah. Let's see if I can. songs that end yes end and that's it and finish yeah yeah it's actually um it's it's funny you've mentioned it because it was one thing uh, what we've done for years in leatherface it's like no fade outs no fade outs <laughs> you can't yeah. have fade outs you know? the cheat is that it's last like, oh come on one. the last chord is a jaw 
and that's always gives you yeah. room for the guitars to be out of tune for that little bit where it's like wow 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 <laughs> feel the power yeah that's right where you're constantly you're trying to keep the neck straight so you don't actually put the guitar out of out of tune um gods and glory who who wrote the lyrics on that is that a hugo writing the lyrics on that that was Hugo, yeah. Hugo did the lyrics for that, and um, it's actually what I really like the line in there. Um, some very good, strong lyrics, what he done, especially in that song as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were talking a little bit about that Phil guitar and, and the filler guitar, and uh, that's sort of like a, a very much so an, a, like a semi am trick to try and differentiate. You can't just play the same thing with two guitars. Well, you could. I guess you could with that. You know, it's strong enough riff wise, but. It's good to have that diversity and something to sort of break it up and give you, you know, a spectrum of stereo. Supposed to. Yeah, I, I mean, when we were uh, on tour with um, Fred and Hugo, um, when they were in yesterday's ring, uh, I mean, that's one thing with Fred. He, a lot of stuff he's influenced by what he listens to. He just comes out with these, you know, really odd um, parts and they're really refreshing. Uh, and and being in the studio watching him do what he did and 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 putting it down mm-hmm. was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic because the songs changed, you know. Yeah. You suddenly start hearing these different harmonics and things coming out, and you you just think, yeah, yeah, you know, you've got to leave it in there, you know. Makes you sound like a grown up. Maybe fans. I was talking actually. Sergi was on the show a couple of months ago, and I was because I, that's I'm a geek. I'm a Sam I Am fan, like since you know. Yeah, I like them. And uh, and and when I said, "Oh, that noodly guitar stuff and stuff," he goes, "Yeah, it's because I didn't know how to play." I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> you know." <laughs> it sounds like me. Why didn't you just sort of try to make it more interesting and appease my fanboy ways and say, yeah, you know, I, I was watching, looking at this piece of art on the wall and it spoke to me. These, no, I don't, yeah, you never, none of that stuff. <laughs> You'd be lying. There'll be some, um, something he's been working on for years on about actually achieving that sound, you know? Very humble man. Good guy too. Good guy. You've, you've probably yeah, passed in med and passing. I haven't actually met him. Um, I love the band. I love what they do. Um, but I have heard a lot of people who've come across him and, and said he's a really nice guy, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So are there plans for a tour? Um, what, what is what is your plans without giving too much away? Because I guess if something's in the making, you can't let it out of the bag, right? Well, um, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, the album's coming out. Uh, we 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 have talked about it previously, and, and since obviously Dickie has departed from us. Yeah, sorry um, about that, by the way. Uh, yeah, it's you know it's happened. Um, so we we decided rather than making plans now, we'd uh, obviously get the album out, see what people think about it, and um, you know we we'll revisit the live thing. Um, I think speaking for all of us, I think yeah we will be doing something. Um, I think the songs deserve it. I think um, Dickie deserves for those songs to go out as well as ourselves and all the work that was put in, in, in to do it. Um, and I would like to do it. Um, so I, I think, yes, we, we will do. Um, but there's nothing as regards data confirmed as yet. So, you know, hopefully yeah. that'll be soon. And when you're, uh, you know, you're lucky too because you have a studio that you is that your main sort of day to day job? Um, no, um, but I try to get in here as much as possible. I like to call it a modern man shed. Um, <laughs> I, I can come in and shut the door, lock it so no strangers turn up or weird people and um, sometimes just relax, play music um, and write and try things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the clock goes around and, and you don't know what time it is. And that's a, that's a nice thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Where, what, is your, what is your day-to-day job? I tend to work on property. Um, I like to get the odd cottage or whatever and, um, you know, make it slightly better um, and sell it on, you know. Um, and I previously worked in um, software and that sort of thing. Really? What kind of software? It was product development um, in retail and fashion um, for a couple of American companies as well. Um, and I, I, the worst thing about it was it became a 24-7 round the clock thing um which was good in one way but after you know eight nine years you just sort of feel like where's my life going and i, I took a lot of time out of music to be honest mm-hmm. um and really I, I thought i need a change you know and I, i'd often sort of 
bought properties and, and done that side of things. Um, and I thought, right, I'll, I'll step more into that, which is, is what I did, which really allowed me now to get back into um, doing what I've, you know, I always have done and enjoyed, and that's trying to make a noise, you know. There's a certain type of person that wants to always stay close to music, and I'm one of them, and that's why I work as a sound man, because then I can jump over into the playing part because it's not too far to jump from sound guy to, to musician than it is to jump from guy on the ninth floor of the office building to musician. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, um, and it, it's trying to get that balance, isn't it? And, and you must, you have kids and things like that too. So touring for hundreds of weeks at a time might not be an option anyways. No, um, even though the Leatherface thing, um, looking back on it, I'm actually surprised at um, just how much we did. To, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, having all of us having families, um, we toured extensively. And I think now, going forward, I probably do think about that a little bit more. Um, and we probably wouldn't tour for like a month, month and a half at a time because uh, it is a long time you know to be away from family and friends and and to, you know it's really not healthy is it <laughs> oh no but these uh, the thing the, the cool thing now that i've noticed with um bands touring say europe or not necessarily north america with with europeans or english folk coming over this way but if you live where you live you can go play a weekend here and come home and then you can go play a weekend over there and then come home. Like you could make it to France and you could play, you could play Paris. That's a pretty cool, you know, to be so close to that culture of music, Germany and, and France, that's, you know, you can still just take off for the weekend and come home and be totally fine. Right. Yeah. Um, without a doubt. And that's, it's something which we did do with Leatherface quite a lot. Um, where we would get a couple of festivals and we'd probably add on a couple of dates around them and we'd just either fly over or, you know, obviously jump in the van, mm-hmm. um, go off and do them and you'd be back. Yeah. Um, and it was quite easy. But I must say that I find um, the live circuit over in Canada and um, America pretty good, mind you. You know, you can get out there and do a lot. I, uh, as a Canadian, I I respectfully disagree. <laughs> But the um, based on the fact that you know Canada is massive, like I could, we could go to Montreal. That's five hours away. Could you? I mean, England's sort of the same thing. There's not a lot of major cities. America is cool, but for Canadians, it's really hard to get to America because you have to pay for work papers and all these things. Europe is Europe is my utopia. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. it's um... Maybe I've been spoiled because obviously when we were over there, we, you know, we were sort of around um, Toronto and that way, then down to New York, you mm-hmm. know, Boston and around there, you know, and it was, it was great. You know, it was yeah. Great. <laughs> it's probably the culture thing too, right? Because you going on, it seems like getting on a plane and flying more than six hours and landing somewhere and having an instrument in your hand a day later there's something romantic about that, you know, and same thing happens when I go over to Germany or had to go over to Germany and have a guitar in my hand. I thought, oh, this is the best place in the world because I'm as far away from my hometown that I can get. Yeah, it's, uh, I suppose it does have some uh, romanticism about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Well, um, I I think we had a, you know, good chat. I, I'm sorry we didn't get touched too much on your band, but, uh, um, you know, h- how do you feel? Um, good, yeah. It's, um, at least we, we got connected up and it was good. It was nice to talk to you, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you ever make it over to Toronto, Toronto, as we say in Canadian say, everybody else says Toronto, please look me up. And uh, if you make it over to Pizza Fest, uh, would love to come and see it. We're only four or five hours away. Come over. Usually that's what happens. Bands come to Toronto and we'll play a show in Toronto at the same time. Um, do that. Definitely, I've um, I've I've got quite a few friends in Toronto anyway, so um, and I like the place a lot. Amazing. Um, so I would say to that, yes, we will be meeting up at some point. <laughs> very good. Okay, cool. Thanks, man. Thanks very much. All right, it was a pleasure. Graham Phyllis Kirk, everybody, that was a good show. That was fun. It was awesome. Uh, thanks, Graham, for doing the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, and as always, fetchclass.com. Thanks to that. Thanks to insightrecorders.com. 
Don't forget to go to applelog.ca and click on the Musician's Friend, the Amazon banners, the Bang Good banner. It has a ring to it. Uh, what else? Oh, and go to the shop, the Apolog shop, and shop. And don't forget to go to patreon.com slash and pledge to the show. Like the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash pod. Follow me on Twitter, at SimonHis666, but I'm going to be changing it to some other Twitter handle that's got something to do with the podcast, not me and or Satan. Oh, and iTunes. Please go to iTunes, rate, review, subscribe to the show. Tell your friends. Don't forget to tell your friends. Now, if you happen to be somebody from England and knows Graham or your family member or you're from England, I apologize for for ripping on Brits. Uh, You know, I'm British. I've met lots of British people. And like I said, I am one of them. And I know that it's probably not the best thing to do is rip on your own kind. But hey, Brits, come on. Come on. Get over it. You guys won the war for us. We appreciate it, didn't we? I didn't personally, but whatever. Now I'm rambling. Next week, I got an awesome, special, cool show. It's a live show. Live taped. Not live live, but I taped it live just a couple of days ago, and it's going to be coming out, and I'm really... I was super nervous to do it. I was having night fears and terrors and and waking up with palpitations in my heart saying, I'm going to, this is going to suck. But it was actually a lot of fun. And my guest, Justin Small and Stella Panacci, were nothing short of awesome. Stella played some music and Justin talked and played some music as well. And I want to see you all come back next week because it's going to be a special super duper awesome show. Yay! We'll see you next week. Bye.